Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Help me welcome our online campus. God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're going to go through the Bible, brand new series, through the Bible in seven weeks. We're not going to read the whole Bible. I would encourage you to read the whole Bible. How many of you have actually read the whole Bible through before? Good, good. That's awesome. Um, And I encourage you to do that. Average reading uh, speed would be about 70 hours and 40 minutes. And um, so I would encourage you to do that at some point. What we're going to attempt to do is over the next seven weeks, obviously we're not going to cover every detail of the Bible. You understand that. That would be through the Bible in seven years, okay? But we're just going to do this in seven weeks. And uh, we're going to kind of hit each book and groups of books and tie it all together in this uh, grand narrative that, that God has. Let's, let's start out in Psalm 119. And interesting enough, Psalm 119 is the very center of the Bible. And it says, great peace. Everybody say great peace. Great peace have those who love your law. That's the Bible, God's word. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble, to get tripped up, to get offended. So great peace. Say that again. Great peace. I believe this, that when we love God's word and it becomes a part of our life, our peace will increase. I believe you'll have way more peace and way less panic. Because, again, we're going to see the big picture of what God has for us. Um, it's, it's, it's discouraging at times to talk to somebody and they say, well, I'm down or I don't know what to do or this or that. And I say, well, are you in the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? No. And that's like trying to help a person who they say, I'm so thirsty. And they say, well, are you drinking water? No. Or I'm so hungry. Are, are you eating? No. And, and, you know, I'm telling you, and I, I, this is my prayer for you is that you will have a hunger for God's Word and that you'll begin to see the, the power of God's Word in, in our lives. And when, we, when we're able to see what is going on, big picture with God's Word, like I said, way more peace, way less panic, and God has designed it that way for us. The devil, the enemy of your soul, wants to keep you out of the Bible. He wants to keep you from getting in the Bible. He wants to keep the Bible from getting in you. So he's always glad to supply you with a long list of just lame excuses to keep you out of God's word. Well, I'm not much of a reader, or that's an awfully big book, or this is too hard to understand. You know, we have all of these uh, excuses that could happen. And I want to encourage you to just push right past all of those things and realize the power and the life that that the Bible will bring to us. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Are you there? And I, I need extra smiles today, okay? That, that will help me a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is not just any other book. This is a living book that is God-breathed, and is so powerful and so sharp to bring precision, even down to our thoughts and our decisions. Romans ten seventeen says that, so then faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. I believe this with all my heart as well. There is faith in God's word. Not just that we put faith in it, there is faith in it. And when we receive of God's word, when we read and hear of God's word, it produces faith on the inside of us. Can I get an amen today? Amen. Now, um, for this series, we have prepared a reading guide. And uh, the reading guide will take you through the seven weeks and give you some things to do at home. Uh, You can go to NBCOcala.com forward slash TTB7 through the Bible in seven weeks. And uh, I want to give credit to Dr. J.E. White. He pastors up near Charlotte, North Carolina. Actually, a series he did kind of inspired this series for us. And also, he's done the heavy lifting, uh, most of the prep work on that reading guide. And uh, we've adapted it for our uses. So I wanted to give proper credit there. Uh, But this is a tremendous tool to take you over the next seven weeks. Now, here's three things you need to do with the Word of God. You ready? Number one, read it. Everybody say, read it. You know, uh, it's just a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how often we have to remind ourselves and remind others. Read it. Come on, say it again. Read it. Second thing is this. Believe it. Say that. Believe it. You just got to let your heart go and your mind go a little bit and realize, and you're not, you're not being reckless with, with this, but choosing to believe God's word. It's faith in God that makes things happen and changes things. So read it, believe it, and thirdly, follow it. Everybody say, follow it. Because you, you've got to obey it. Otherwise, you're a forgetful hearer and you actually deceive yourself, the Bible says. So read it, believe it. Follow it and look me in the eye. I promise you it will change your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, y'all are way too quiet for me today. All right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The Bible will change your life. So whatever you've been waiting on, I'm trying to help you every way that I can. Let's get into God's word. Amen. The Bible is made up of 66 books, 40 authors, and over hundreds of years came together God supernaturally compiled that into a, a holy canon of books. Is one big book. Um, and we will see through this series God's big overarching message. We're going to see the grand narrative and the big picture of, of all of this. It is the most intriguing book. It is the most influential book. Uh, influencing civilization, cultures, and most of all, individuals. And the Word of God has made such a change in my life, I refuse to go through a day without God's Word. And I, and I want you to not just be a reader of God's Word. I want you to, to memorize God's Word. But I want you to not just memorize it. I want you to know it by heart. Because the Word of God is so powerful and alive. You can be laying in bed in the midnight hour struggling with something. And the Word of God can come back to you and you can quote it and remember it. And the peace and the encouragement and the hope that it will bring and the healing that it will bring to you. This is unlike any other words ever. These are God's inspired, God-breathed words that are here for us. And don't let the enemy and don't let schedule and don't let your, your frame of mind block you from what God has given us, this incredible gift of his word. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look, and uh, today we're going to start with the first five books of the Bible, and we're calling this uh, Beginnings, because that's actually at the very beginning of all, and forgive me here as I get a drink. So the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, this is called the Law, or the Torah, because the law, the Ten Commandments were given. It's also referred to as the Pentateuch. 
and it's these first five books of the Bible. They're written and compiled by, does anybody remember? Moses, Moses. And uh, scholars believe that it was probably starting around uh, 1446 B.C. And for about the next 40 years, Moses compiled these books. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to phrase it this way. In the beginning, God. We need to understand that from the very beginning, there was God. And God was actually preceding the beginning. You have to understand that God is eternal. So before this, this was our beginning. Okay, this is the beginning of earth and things that we know. Before that even, God existed. But you need to know from the, and I want to pound this stake into the ground early in this message, that before there was anything, and then as it all began, there is God, the one God, the only God, the eternal God. He's not a force or an aura or an energy or a mist. Um, he's the person of the Godhead. And we believe the Godhead to be triune or a, tr- a trinity. Three equals one, one equals three. Not three gods, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there's unity in the trinity. One of the first things that God said was, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So there's that unity there. And make no mistake, one God, three people, uh, three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I have trouble with math. Anybody else? Come on. Um, and with math, three equals one, one equals three, I'm thrown off already. But then even if you do understand math, that's hard to wrap our minds around. And many of the things that we're going to see in Scripture, miracles and, and events and different things that we're going to see, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. Look at me for this, and that's okay. It's okay because they are what is called a mystery, a mystery. And a mystery is just simply beyond us. It's beyond us. So to believe in the mysteries of God is not irrational. It's not irrational. It is supra-rational, which means it's beyond. It, this is beyond human knowledge and human understanding. We do well to view it with open eyes and open heart and let God reveal himself. Plus, if we understood, if we could fully explain everything about God, guess what? He ceases to be God. Because the creator is always greater than the creation. And he's wiser and his ways and his thoughts and ways are so much higher than our thoughts and and our ways. Amen? All right. Um, It all began, excuse me one second. It all began in, in paradise. Adam and Eve were the first occupants. And this is beautiful, perfect setting. Um, they were naked, they were unashamed, there was no embarrassment, there was no impurity, there was no perversion, there was no stress, there was no strife, there was no newscast, no newspapers, there was nothing that, that would be upsetting. Um, it was beautiful, there was abundance, there was wonder, they were free to play, to work, to create. They could eat of any tree. They could drink of any stream. However, they could not eat of one tree, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when God set it up this way, do not eat of the knowledge of the tree of 
uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he set it up that way, it was to bring choice. It was to bring an option because what God wanted then, what God wants now, what God will always want, you ready, is relationship. So he did not create robots to just be pre-programmed to just do what he said. He wanted relationship to be real relationship. That we're not forced into it, but we choose it. We choose to honor the relationship, choose to invest in the relationship, choose to put ourselves in the relationship. And so God gave an option here. So what happens then with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're faced with a decision. And the decision is whether they were going to determine what was good and evil on, them, on their own, or if they were going to go with what God said is good or evil. Guess what? Same dilemma today. You know, do we go with what God says is good or evil, or do we decide on our own? Our culture's decided to decide on their own. And let's get rid of the words good and evil here for a moment, and let me put it to you this way. It's what works and doesn't work. And God knows what works and doesn't work. And if you get any long-term study on decisions that we've made that are apart from what God says works and doesn't work, we find out that our decisions end up not working. Our culture is in a mess. Our world is in a mess. It's because we've gone our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the good news is God has laid the iniquity of us all over on Jesus. So there is a path back to redemption. Can I get an amen today? Now, enter the serpent, the devil, the tempter, and he comes and he tempts them and helps to influence their choice. And here's what it was. The choice was not just to disobey. The choice was, are you going to continue in a relationship with God as God, or are you going to go your own way? They made the wrong choice. And this is referred to in the Bible as the fall of man. Not the autumn, but the fall. This is when things fell apart. Enter now into this perfection. A disruption comes. Sin comes. Ruin comes. Decay comes into mankind. But again, God did not give up. God did not give up. And through Abraham... Through Abraham, he begins a special relationship with a group of people. Now, let me explain. There's a guy named Abram, who later his name was changed to Abraham by God. We'll get to that in just a moment. But God chose him after this fall and uh, years down the road, he chose him to have a special relationship. And this is with the nation or the people of Israel. Now, it's often misunderstood in church circles that what is the special thing about Israel? Are they just his favorite and they have something that no one else can have? No, no. Here's what it is. It's almost like a display in a store window. And what God is trying to present a clear picture of is this is what it looks like to have a relationship with God and to be in a healthy relationship with those around you. He wants the rest of the world to see this. And it was not just for uh, Israel. It's for all nations, and that's why God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning the father of what? Of many nations. So the goal is to show what it's like, and you know what? Fast forward to now, 
That's what the church is supposed to be like. It's, we're supposed to be like the display in the store window for the rest of the world to see what it's like to have a heavenly father who has a caring covenant with us and we respond in, in relationship with him, how he takes care of us, how he gets us through storms in life and one day he, we arrive in our own promised land. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening today. And this is God's plan of redemption, and it includes all nations. Well, let's go ahead and get into the book. Some of the first one is Genesis. Everybody say Genesis. And forgive me here as I need to get water. Genesis means beginnings or origins. It's the beginning of the world. It's the beginning of the human race, beginning of sin, beginning of family, the beginning of civilizations and of nations, and in particular, the Hebrew race. Some of the players and events are Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We'll come back to Joseph in a moment. At creation, and I just want to stop on this real quick, we believe in creation. We believe that God is a creator and he created. He's a designer. I always put it to people this way. If there's a design, there's a designer. And you don't have to look very far in nature and in our world to see there's an obvious design. So there's a designer. But Christians, do yourself this favor. Don't burn bridges and blow up bridges with other people arguing about creation, okay? Because what we don't have from Scripture, we do not have scientific, biological process explaining everything to us. We don't know. We just know this, that God made it, God created it, and then he said it is good. And so... Don't be so hard, fast, hard-headed that you end up knocking out conversation with other people um, because we really do not have all of how that was formed. Just maintain and never let go of this. God is the creator. God made it. Don't know how he did it, but he did it. He's God, and, it, and he said it is good. Amen? Another consideration out of the book of Genesis is lifespans, lifespans. Adam, the first man, lived 930 years. Anybody here close? <laughs> Noah, Noah uh, fathered a child at age 500. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. So is this a misprint? Did something change? Did we start counting differently? Here's what I believe it is. It was the fall of man. And see, because God originally designed us and created us, watch this, he originally designed and created us to live, let me say it, created and designed us to live forever. And then the, the book of Romans says that when sin entered, death entered. We have all different measures of death, you know, chaos, disease, decay, confusion, all of those things come in. And over time, we almost had to learn to die. And you watch historically how lifespans have come down to where they are now. But I want you to understand that God created us to live and to live forever. But guess what? God's a redeemer. God is the God of again. And as he redeems it all, guess what? One day we end up back in paradise and we will live, how long? Forever. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Now, so in Genesis, <clears throat> we see the effects of the fall. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, God had a plan, though. He said, I will establish my covenant, unbreakable contract, 
between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And this was not just to Abraham, not just to his immediate descendants, but this is to all nations. And the covenant and God's promises inform the rest of the Bible. Let's go to the next book quickly, and it is this, Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. Exodus actually means the way out. So when you leave today, you're going to go under a sign that says exit. That's the way out, okay? Uh, But this has much more meaning because God brought them out. And Exodus is the stuff of movies. You've got plagues and miracles and rescues and outcasts and all kinds of incredible things that take place in the book of Exodus. And Exodus is a key to understanding the rest of the Old Testament. And so Exodus becomes a real critical piece in understanding not only the Old, Old Testament, but putting the whole Bible together and understanding the way out that God is our rescuer. So the book of Exodus is about rescue and it's about relationship. It's about God saving his people. Um, you'll remember the story of the Red Sea. And uh, let me back up into the, the, the tail end of Genesis. And I, I mentioned Joseph to you. Joseph was a young man. He had many brothers. He was a little bit proud of himself, and uh, especially being the younger brother. And the older brothers got fed up with him. And so one day they um, sold him off, sold him to some traveling merchants, some Bedouins. And they went home and told their dad that he died. And so years later, his story is a crazy story. It is worth the read in the end of the book of Genesis. And he had favor on him, though. Everybody say favor. He had favor, and and God said, wherever you go, because the favor that's on you, it will be on where you're at. I believe that for us as well. I believe there can be favor where you work. There can be favor in your neighborhood. Why? Because you're there, and God's favor would be upon you. Amen. Hey, it's my voice, not your voice. Come on, I need to hear you. All right, all right. You're like, amen. No, that's my job today. Well, um, God's favor was upon Joseph, and he rose in prominence and ends up being number two in the entire land of Egypt. And the reality is he was in charge of everything in Egypt. There was a famine back in the homeland, and his brothers made their way because they heard that there was food and abundance in Egypt. And so they made their way, and they come before their brother and did not realize it was Joseph. Joseph recognized them, though. And here's what he did. When he could have just denied them or even punished them, he chose to redeem them, and he chose to rescue them. And so he moved his family. It was about 70 of them. Uh, They moved into Egypt. They began to prosper. They began to multiply. The 70 before long became almost 3 million. And this is the nation of Israel growing with the covenant of God, the favor. Well, the Egyptians got nervous. The Egyptians felt threatened you know, to have this burgeoning nation among them. And so they put them into slavery, into hard, they were hard taskmasters. And so the people began to cry out to God and God sent them a deliverer. Do you remember who the deliverer was? Moses. Moses went before Pharaoh and he said, God has sent me and you're gonna let my people go. And he said, I'm not gonna let anybody go. He said, this is our workforce. I'm not letting anybody go. And um, so he said, then God will send plagues. And uh, he said, bring him. And the reason for the plagues was to soften Pharaoh's heart. Instead, he hardened his heart. 
So there's a whole list, 10 in total, of these plagues that came. Uh, everything from the water turned to blood. An invasion of frogs, where frogs were everywhere. Can you imagine opening your car or going home or opening the fridge or peeling back the sheets on your bed and just frogs everywhere? Uh, locusts. Uh, midday would turn to black of night. All these plagues. Here's one of the worst plagues. Uh, he turned off their Wi-Fi. I'm joking. I had to make sure you were still here. <clears throat> Finally, Pharaoh's heart is so hardened uh, that God sends the 10th plague, which is horrible, and it says the death of their firstborn. And so he gave a remedy, though. And he said, if you want to escape this, the death of your firstborn, the angel of death is going to pass over here. And when he comes, here's how you make sure that you're protected. You take us a, a lamb without blemish and you slaughter him and take the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. And when the death angel comes, where'd my word go here? Passover, the angel of death will, come on, will, will pass over. There's places in scripture it indicates even some of the Egyptians uh, heard of this and did this. And that that's, Big statement, too, that the blood is the blood that makes the difference. But what happened because of this horrible plague and the death of their firstborn, Pharaoh relents and he lets them go. But this began a, a memorial here of sacrifice, sacrifice of animals to pay for sins, uh, sacrifice for, of the innocent for the, for the guilty. It's visual, it's gruesome, it's costly, but so are our sins. And over time, the Day of Atonement would come annually. And in this, uh, the priest would take two goats or two sheep, and they had to be without spot. Okay, remember that. They had to be without blemish. He would slaughter the one and use the blood because there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And then the other one was called a scapegoat. We use that word in our culture today. And the scapegoat means you put blame on them. And what the priest would do is he would symbolically take the sins of all the people and he would put his hands on the head of the goat and it would become the scapegoat and they would drive it out. All of this are types and shadows pointing ahead to Jesus. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. <clears throat> The prophets began to write and say that God would send one one day who would come and would be the Savior and would be the Messiah and that he would fulfill the sacrificial system, that he would come and pay the price for sins once and for all. And that's what Jesus came to do. The Bible says there remains no more, no more sacrifice for sins. There's no, nothing else needed to pay for our sins. All of this was types and shadows pointing ahead to Jesus. Thank God for the day that we live in, that Jesus came. We celebrated it last week, that Jesus came as the Lamb of God, took on the sins of the world. We, we couldn't anyway, but there's no other sacrifice to be paid except our trust in Jesus that he is the Passover Lamb. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Fast forward to uh, the night Jesus was betrayed. It's during Passover. 
And he takes bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. And, and don't miss what he said. He said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, drink of this. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do you know what he was saying? It's me. I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the Passover lamb. And uh, beautiful. And all of that uh, originates back in Exodus. Let's move quickly. Leviticus. Everybody say Leviticus. Anybody reading Leviticus this week? A couple of you. All right. Good deal. Um, this has to do with the Levites. They were the priestly uh, tribe. Uh, they were the ones who served in the tabernacle. In the book of Genesis comes ruin. In the book of Exodus comes redemption. In the book of Leviticus comes worship. And this is what's going on. It is a life of worship. Leviticus gives us, it prescribes for us. It gives us even some regulations on how to live a life of worship. How to live, how to work, how to eat, how to interact with one another. And um, let's look in Leviticus 20, verse 26. It says, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. And so the theme of Leviticus is the holiness of God, how to approach a holy God, how to interact with a holy God. And here's why it was important. You ready? Because God was now living among them. They were still a nomadic people, and they built as God prescribed down to the, down to the nth degree this tabernacle, this moving tent that God chose to come, get this, and bring his actual presence to live there. So how many of you know if a holy God suddenly moved into your house, you're going to have to clean up your act a little bit, okay? And so here's some requirements and some things, and uh, ultimately they help them respond properly to the presence and power of God. In Exodus, we see God's power and presence on the large scale, but in Leviticus, we see God's power and presence up close. And so ultimately, all this has to do is live in a manner, hear me, live in a manner that honors that God is among us. Live in a manner that God's presence is with us. And that's where we're at today. That's not just in this Old Testament book. You and I are to live in a manner that we honor that God is in us, God is with us, God is among us. Can I get an amen today? Now, there are some rules and requirements in, in Leviticus that have lapsed now. And, uh, but, uh, and that's because Jesus fulfilled them or did away with some of them. In the book of Colossians, for example, in the New Testament, he said, it's no longer touch not, taste not, handle not. There are certain things that Jesus fulfilled that there was no longer the need for some of those. But ultimately, it is to live a life, to live in such a way that you honor that God is among us. Quickly, the book of Numbers. Numbers. And you're going to find that God counts everything. And this had to do with the numbers of census. Mostly, the book of Numbers has to do with them wandering in the wilderness. They, uh, they spent how long in the wilderness? 40 years. Do you know how long the trip actually was? Less than two weeks. And so what happened after they cleared the Red Sea, God led them all the way to the promised land. Everybody say promised land. He led them all the way there, but ahead of time, Moses sent 12 spies, and the spies were to go spy out the land, and they came back, and they said, we can't take this land. There's giants there. 
Even though they'd heard this a land that flows with milk and honey, and you would not believe how lush this land is, and God has prepared it for you, 10 of the, 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, we can't do this. We're like grasshoppers in their sight and in ours. There were two, though. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. My middle son's name is Joshua Caleb. Um, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, we're well able to do this. But see, because of their unbelief, they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. So God, in judgment, actually had them wander for 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. It is divine judgment, but it also shows his, his merciful provision the whole time. But here's what they did. They murmured, they complained, they grumbled, they rebelled against God. And uh, look at this verse here from Numbers uh, chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people uh, treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? God was pretty put out with, these, with this crew. And so what happened, they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. So the 40 years was so that generation could die out. So I'm not saying anything to y'all, but listen, don't grumble, don't complain, don't murmur, all right? <clears throat> and uh, so the only two, though, that did enter were Joshua and Caleb, who believed God, and God made sure that they were able to get into that land. So there's much to be learned from the book of Numbers. Remember this too, only read Numbers in context of the first three books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, otherwise, it's out of context. It would be kind of like starting to watch a television show and beginning with the fourth, the fourth season, you know? And you don't know who the people are and what's going on and so forth. And so get, get that in context. Finally is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Everybody say Deuteronomy. It means the second law or the second giving. And it's an incredible book. And what's happening is the children of Israel are about to have their second chance. They're about to enter into the promised land. And Moses rallies them and gathers them. And he reminds the people of God's faithfulness. And he reminds the people of God's law. And he gives the law a second time. He repeats their whole story. An incredible book. He recounts all that God has done for them. And then he very simply and clearly, he lays out the law again, the Ten Commandments. And he declared this, and this would be the theme of Deuteronomy, the power of obedience and the peril of disobedience. Look with me in Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. A powerful book and worth the read. Let me say this to you. Jesus loved Deuteronomy. If you read all the places where Jesus would quote scripture, he quoted a lot from Isaiah and the Psalms, but the, the place that he quoted most from was Deuteronomy. Uh, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. But this is my favorite, and I'll wrap up with this. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the devil came to tempt him. And three times, and Jesus just quoted Scripture back to him. Do you know where all that Scripture came from? From Deuteronomy. Just quoting Deuteronomy drives the devil away. I love it. And so everything that the devil brought up, God had already spoken in the book of Deuteronomy. Such a powerful, powerful thing. And if I could just land it all right there, it's this. Here's what Deuteronomy tells us. Love God 
and keep his commandments. And that was not only the message of Deuteronomy, that was the message of the beginning of paradise. And can I tell you, it's the message for today, for us right now. Look at me. Love God. Keep his commandments. There's still choice for us because God wants you in relationship. And it's a relationship that you choose. And I cannot encourage you enough to love God, keep his commandments. Those are the first five books, just in minor detail. Genesis of beginnings and the fall of man. Exodus of redemption and the organization of of mankind. Leviticus, showing us how to live a life that honors that God is among us. Numbers, the story of wanderings and judgment because of complaining and rebelling against God. And then finally, Deuteronomy is final preparation to enter into the promised land. Guess what? You and I have a promised land ahead of us. Let's make sure that we also love God and do what he says. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this today? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.